there's so much information out there about childhood trauma. And I think a lot of what my behavior patterns have been stems from my childhood trauma and stems from my parents, whether over nurturing me because of fear or, or under nurturing me or having a, an environment of instability and what that does to the brain and how you behave because of that. I have learned through a lot of hours of therapy and of reading, you know, seeking out information. I have learned, you know, where my brain is, you know, what my DNA is because of the way I was raised and how that affects my relationships. Now, does everybody want to take the time to learn about themselves? No, most people don't want to take the time to learn about themselves. They want to maybe see something on Instagram from whoever, you know, somebody who's talking about, you know, behavior and they go, okay, oh, I, I relate to that. And okay, so I'm going to be, I'm going to fix that. That's not what it's about. It's like anything. It's like what we talked about earlier. You don't go to the gym one time, go home and see change. This is a process that is the most painful process of anything I've ever done, which is to learn about myself. I'm Doug Bopes, personal trainer, best-selling author and entrepreneur, and I'm on a mission to help others become the best version of themselves. So I'd like to welcome you to the Adversity Advantage podcast, where we will help you use obstacles, failures, and setbacks to give you that edge needed for success. I'll be interviewing people from all walks of life on how they overcame trials and turned them into triumphs. So please sit back, relax, and get ready to be absolutely blown away by some of the wisdom and stories you're about to hear. Welcome back to another episode of the Adversity Advantage. I'm your host, Doug Bobst. And I know I normally don't release episodes three times a week, but today's a special occasion because actor Frank Gorillo of the newly released movie Lamborghini, the man behind the legend, joins me today on the podcast. You may recognize Frank from movies like Warrior, The Grey, or from some of the Marvel movies or shows like Billions or Kingdom. In this episode, we are going to get real and you are going to hear a side of Frank that you may not be as familiar with. Frank lost two people very close to him in the last year to suicide and it impacted him deeply. He is on a mission to prioritize his mental health and help his family and others do the same. And with that said, mental health is a big focus of today's discussion. Frank also gets candid about parenting, divorce, healing trauma, his career, and more. So let's get this conversation going and welcome Frank Gorillo to the Adversity Advantage podcast. Frank, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, brother. It's great to be here. It's great to have you here, man, and I've been a longtime fan of yours, and, and I'm very impressed with what you've accomplished personally, professionally, and from like a physical standpoint. So I guess like a good place for us to start is, you know, you're somebody, you're in your 50s, and you still continue to grind and get after it every single day at the gym. I mean, you like, when I watch your Instagram stories, it like motivates me as a trainer to work harder at the gym. So like, what keeps you going? What keeps you so inspired to just get after it every single day in the gym? Yeah, man, I'll tell you what, what I don't ever think about is how old I am. Like, it just never enters my mind. Like, I am still the same guy I am now as I was when I was 23 years old as far as my training. It's like, you know, I and I hear like on my periphery, I very rarely let shit in when I'm training, but I hear dudes complain. Today I heard a dude complain it was his 50th birthday and he was sluggish and he was out of breath and it was because he was 50. And I'm like, no, bro. No, it's because you're lazy. It has nothing to do with you being 50. So, you know, my approach to everything has nothing to do, and I mean my career, because at my age, a lot of guys who have been in the business are kind of 
really searching for work. And I'm not. And because I see it through childlike eyes and it's like I just started and every movie is my first movie and every day in the gym is my first day in the gym. I know it sounds hokey, but that's how I live my life, man. I wake up smiling. <laughs> I swear to God, because it feels new every day. Make it new, you know? That's amazing. And it's a great outlook to have because fitness, lifestyle, wellness, it's a journey. And it's just something that you have to get up and do every single day. And I know that like your career as an actor can be very challenging, right? Where you don't know when the next thing's going to come. You don't know like how a certain movie is going to do. You don't know like if you're going to end up like getting the role that you thought you might have already had. Like how has fitness like helped you like learn to embrace the journey more when it comes to your career in acting? Oh man. I mean, great question. First of all, and here's the thing about fitness. You know, you could go to the gym and, and train for two hours, like, like a madman, right? And you go home, you look in the mirror, nothing happens. It, nothing changes. You do it again the next day. And again, nothing really changes, right? You've got to be patient and willing to let the change occur, right? And I apply, you've got to apply that to every part of your life. It, you know, you just don't decide, hey, I'm an actor and I'm going to go to, I don't know, maybe you go to drama school. Maybe you're lucky enough to go to drama school and then you get out and it's like, well, now I'm going to be an actor. No, it's not an applied science. You've got to be patient and wait and take the rejection. And so in all aspects of my life, I look at it the way I look at training. The way I started boxing when I was 12 years old or jujitsu or wrestling, you didn't start off and, you know, I knew I liked it. I knew I was kind of good at it, but I had a long way to go, right? And that's kind of how I, that's what I instill in my children. Same thing. I have three sons. It's like, hey, fellas, just because you want it doesn't mean you get it. You've got to put in the work. You know, there's a reason why they say 10,000 hours. You know, and by now, I think a lot of people know. I mean, I think Malcolm Gladwell made it famous in his book, but 10,000 hours of practice, 10,000 hours of rehearsal, 10,000 hours to make you really good at something. So that's the mantra, man. Yeah. And you're like the epitome of the person who embraces the journey and continues to get back up, you know, each time you have a, a setback. I want to go back 20 years ago. Minority Report's coming out. You thought something was going to go one way. You're at the movie premiere with your mom. Something completely unexpected happens that puts a dent in your career. Talk about what happened and then how you bounced back from that. Yeah, not, not just a dent in my career because I really didn't have one at the time. But, you know, it was like in any person's journey, it was supposed to be, supposed to be, which I don't ever look at anything that's supposed to be anymore. But it was supposed to be a quote-unquote break, right? And I was on the movie for six months. It's Steven Spielberg. It's Tom Cruise. It doesn't get any bigger. I'm friends now with Steven Spielberg and Tom Cruise. And, and I take my mother to the premiere, and uh, I'm not in the movie. I got cut out. Not just me, but the whole section of the film that I was in, the part of the movie, the story, got cut out. No one told me. And I was so young, uh, not young in my age, but I was young in the business. And no one had told me, like my agents, first of all, should have told me that. But I sat there with my mother and I was in one frame of the movie. It was one of the last frames of the movie. And you see me take my helmet off and I go face into camera like this. And there's my face. 
And I've told this story before. I'm, I'm sick. I'm beside myself. My mother's holding my hand. My mothers are amazing. And she looked at me and she goes, you were the best part of that movie. And she knew exactly what was going on with me. She didn't care. All she knew is she was with me and I was in that movie and Steven Spielberg. And uh, I went home and for a year, I had to deal with this. I had to deal with this. And it set me straight. It was like, you know, all the expectations were my expectations. Do you know what I mean? And so I put so much weight on it and I had so many expectations that Steven Spielberg wasn't responsible for my expectations. I was. And so I was just thinking it was going to be the very best of what it could possibly be. And it wasn't. And I had to learn. And from that point on, I never got disappointed again. And I've done some shitty movies and I've done them for money. I'm not afraid to say it. Like I've got a family to pay for. And so sometimes I'm not Brad Pitt. Like I don't get the best scripts. So sometimes I got to take things for money and it's not fun to have to explain it. (laughs) But, you know, I've learned from that experience not to have these expectations and that it's not really that important at the end of the day. I'm getting to be an actor. I'm getting paid. I'm doing my thing. I'm taking care of my family. I'm taking care of my kids. And that's really what matters, you know. And it's funny because I always tell people, manage your expectations. You'll manage your anxiety if you can manage your expectations. You're so right, man, because I think people struggle with timelines, right? Like people expect to be married by a certain age. They expect to have a certain amount of kids by a certain age. And I I guess it seems like you're so passionate, obviously, about what you do. And you, like you said, you have a a family to support. Was there ever like a moment like before, you know, you started to become more popular later on in your career that you're like, man, when am I going to get my break? Did you ever struggle with that? I still do. It's not that I struggle with it. It's like, ah, like I'm on the periphery. I'm in Hollywood. I'm not of Hollywood. I am not. I'm not part of the cool guys group. Like, you know what I mean? It's like these guys who got to be superheroes or, you know, they became stars at a young age for whatever reason. And I don't think they're any better. In fact, most of them, I don't, I don't think they're that good, but they're stars, you know? And so I've learned now at my ripe old age that I got to let that go. And I'm fortunate enough at this point, brother, that I can work whenever I want to work. There's always movie offers. Are they the movies that are going to be in all the theaters and that all the people are going to be talking about? Probably not. doesn't matter. (laughs) It doesn't matter. Eventually, they'll end up on an airplane or on your Netflix or you'll see it. You know, it's a different world now. But yeah, you know, I still, every once in a while, I'm like, wow, how come I didn't get to that place? And then I go, stop, stop, be grateful that you're not on the other side of where I am saying, how come I never got to that guy's place? You know, a lot of people would love to be where I am, to be able to work all the time, to be able to kind of live this great life. And I go, whoa, okay, be grateful, live your life, and don't worry about what you don't have because you have a lot of good stuff. Yeah, and I think a lot of your success and your outlook on life comes from your ability to manage and optimize your mental health. And I know that's a big passion of yours. And I know that over the last few years, you've had a lot of tragedy in your life that is due to people having their own struggles with their mental health and it's impacted you. So maybe talk a bit about what's transpired over the last year or so and how that's impacted you. Yeah, I'll tell you in the last 10 months. So my best friend, 
He was my manager. He's my business partner. He's as close to me as my brothers were, are. Uh, he struggled with depression and he was vocal about it. He was on medication and he was, he would go in and out of, of bouts of really deep depression where he was despondent and he had everything. His family's a very prominent family in Hollywood, very powerful. And he had all the money. People loved him. He was beloved. His family had lots of connections. He had all the resources at his fingertips. When I tell you this guy had everything, his life from the outside looking in was perfect. And I was doing a movie and I, I was speaking to him. It was a Sunday night and he was coming back, he was flying back. His brother was flying him back to LA from New Jersey, where he'd been for a couple of months, trying to get the meds right. And he was going to start a new program on Monday. I was going to meet him. And uh, I had spoken to him, hung up, went back to work. I was working nights on a Sunday. And the next call I got was from his wife. And uh, he was with his brother and he kind of snuck out of the house and he shot himself and he killed himself. And uh, it took me about three months to even come to terms with it. And then it took me another three months to understand and appreciate the depth of despair that people could feel. And it has nothing to do with anything on the outside. It has nothing to do with how big your house is, how pretty your wife is, how much money you make, how popular you are. It has nothing to do with that, which means we as a society need to learn and help specifically men, because it's more prominent in men. We need to help our brothers who are maybe don't feel like it's okay to talk about it. Right. And so I've just started to reconcile with, you know, I got his, I got his name tattooed on my arm. I mean, I, lo I loved him so much. And uh, about a month and a half ago, my brother, he's my biological cousin. We grew up as brothers in the same house. My brother came over, he was getting divorced. And his wife took the kids to Montana and he came over on a Thursday. I talked to him for 12 hours. You know, I said, whatever you need, I got the money. Well, I'll take care of it. Don't worry about it. Blah, blah, blah. He, he drove to Montana. We were talking. We were laughing. Never had any inclination of depression. Nothing. Zero. This was one of the happiest dudes I know. All shits and giggles. Great artist. He went to Montana and he shot himself in his head. And he killed himself. And so just as I was getting to a point where I could deal with Chris, my, my boy, my brother Roy kills himself. And that happened a month and a half ago. I'm back now to trying to figure out what we can do. What didn't I do in that 12-hour period that he was with me? What didn't I say? What didn't I offer? What was I not hearing? And this, this person who I, I have been with since the day I was born, and I knew as well as anybody, what did I do? What, how did I fail him? How did I fail him? And so that's where my, it's, it's really incredible because there's a reason why, you know, I'm not a religious person, but there's a reason why God has put this tragedy in my life. And, you know, mental health now has become, is on the forefront of my existence. I just did a podcast with Nick Swisher, with Jay Glazier. Everything leads to mental health from specifically for men. And that's where I am now. I'm like, I'm like, I want to be of service. I want to have outlets for men to continue to have conversations, you know, for us to understand we need, men need to know it's okay to not be okay, brother.
You know what I mean? My brother shot himself with his children next door in another room. My brother loved his kids more than anything in his life. That level of despondency, that level of despair, I, I can't even, I don't even know how to calculate that. I don't, you know, for him to do that, he's out of his mind. You know, he must have been so, and it's not what we say, it's what we don't say. That's, you, you know what I mean? And I feel like I'm babbling now, but it, it's, there's been such tragedy. Families have been destroyed you know, families will never be the same. The nucleus of my family, which is my brothers and sisters, and you know, our parents are gone, is now, we don't even know how to bury him, you know? So we must be cognizant of our brothers and sisters, our friends and family that are not doing well. We must, we must take care of each other. Man, Thanks for sharing all that. And I can't imagine how hard these last 10 months must have been for you based on, you know, what's transpired and how close you were with the people that you lost and then the way you you lost them. And I think what happens sometimes is when people are struggling, like you just mentioned your brother who went through a divorce, which can wreck people's souls, right? You're in such a low level of self-esteem and, and self you feel so bad about yourself that sometimes it's hard to open up because you're afraid of shame or being judged or what is somebody going to say or who are they going to tell that you just don't, it's a silent battle, like you said. And I guess my first question is, there's a lot of people that have been in your situation where they've experienced a tremendous amount of loss and they end up handling it the wrong way and they turn to excessive amounts of drugs, alcohol, they spend money they don't have. I can go on and on with examples. Like, What have you been doing to self-soothe and take care of yourself so that you don't fall down like that slippery slope? We will get you back to this episode of the Adversity Advantage in just one second, but first wanted to give a quick shout out to Danette May and Earth Echo Foods. Danette was a past guest on the podcast and shared her incredible story and how it inspired her to create her products such as Cacao Bliss, which I take every day, either in my coffee or in a smoothie. It starts with 100% organic cacao beans that are naturally kissed by the sun, maintaining its miraculous health benefits. Then it's blended with turmeric, MCT oil, coconut, Himalayan sea salt, cinnamon, and black pepper for the perfect blend to make you feel the best you ever have. The result? Fall in love with a truly decadent, healthy, guilt-free chocolate, removing your cravings, facilitating weight loss, boosting your energy, and reducing your inflammation with one simple drink. Not only that, it is friendly to keto, gluten-free, paleo, vegan, and vegetarian diets. So go to earthechofoods.com forward slash Doug Bobst. Again, earthechofoods.com forward slash Doug Bobst. Check it out for yourself and learn more about the amazing benefits of Cacao Bliss. And when you enter in the promo code Doug at checkout, you'll get 15% off. Now back to the show. Such a great question. You know what I do? I do what I do, which is train. I go to the gym two or three hours a day. I box every day. I do strength and conditioning. I spend time with my children. I listen to my children. You know, I reach out to friends constantly to the point where I'm a bit annoying. I want them to know I'm there. And I work, you know, I work because I, I can't stop. I've got to take care of everybody. And, you know, I went through a divorce too, two years ago. Worst time of my life, worse than any, any death. I think was my divorce to my, my wife of 23 years. This also happened about the same time. So also both my parents died. My mother died suddenly and then my father decided to kill himself. 
So it's been a crazy three years, right? And, you know, again, not religious, but having read the Bible a couple of times, there's the story of, of Job in the Bible who God tests his faith and he takes away his family and his farm and his animals. Everything that could possibly mean anything, he takes it away. And, he, and the question is, do you still have faith? You know, and so I found faith again, like not in a crazy I'm born again way, but in a, in a way where I, I have to surrender to something bigger than me and appreciate that it's all for a reason and it could either destroy me or make me a person who could then go forward and pay it forward and help other people. And I think that's what makes us better. You train, you keep your body sound and you help others. When you are in service of other people, you are a better human being, period. Amen to that, because I think it takes the attention off of yourself when you're, when you're struggling and you're able to channel some of that negative stuff you might be feeling and pour it into somebody else and then like in a way help lift them up because we never regret like helping somebody else out. It's like if you buy the, the person in line behind you a cup of coffee, you're never like, man, I wish I didn't do that. You're like, I'm so glad I did, right? <laughs> Ever. I mean, whatever it is, whatever you're doing to make somebody else's day better or easier, you are going to reap the rewards of that. Do you know what I mean? It's like, I also have my middle, my middle son, my son Liam is, is a special needs kid. He's a beautiful child. But he's, he's a bit different and he's got some special needs. And it's like, if I'm sick at sea, where's my kid going to be? Like, you know, in these formative years, my boy needs me, right? My kid needs me. I brought him into this world. <laughs> he's my responsibility. And every day is a challenge. But every day there are beautiful gifts that I'm given through this child. And so it's another thing that makes me get up in the morning. It's I got to take care of my kids, man. I got to take care of my kids. They did not ask to come here. <laughs> so, so I got three of them at very different stages of their lives. Again, one of them has some special needs. It's like, I just put my shoes on and get up. I go to work. I go to work out. I go to work. I do my thing. And I try to help as many people as I can. And you're right. When you do that, you never feel bad about helping somebody. Man. You never do. In fact, you could be really feeling shitty. And if you go out and you do something for someone else, I guarantee you, I will pay you money if you come back to me and said, no, that didn't work. I guarantee you'll feel better. That's what we're here to do, man. We're here to help each other. And I want to go back to what you said about like the relationship you have with your your son that's that special needs. Like, what do you say to him when he's kind of having a rough time, or maybe he's feeling a certain way where he's? I think I've heard you say that he he sometimes feels like different and stuff. And like, how do you encourage him? First of all, what I do is I ask him what he's feeling and why he's feeling it. And he's got a little bit of a language processing thing. So sometimes he sounds like Borat. He sounds like a foreigner talking English. And I have to kind of listen to the cues about, you know, what he's saying. And then what I do is I try to relate his situation with me, with me being a child or a young man and me struggling because we all struggle, whether you're a typical developing person or not. We all have struggles, right? And then I usually get him laughing. We usually find laughter as the bonding thing that kind of connects us. And then we'll have a chat. He'll open up to me if he feels, 
The other thing that my ex-wife and I, who's a, an amazing mother, I couldn't ask for a better partner with children. She was an amazing wife too. I mean, she's the CEO of his, of his life. We have had my boys in, in therapy because there's so many things that affect them. We lose uncles, we lose brothers, we lose friends. There's tough times in, in our society with, with COVID, with being at home. So our kids have been in therapy for a long time. They go once a week to a therapist to have a third party who they can discuss things that they're not comfortable discussing with us. And we find that to be very valuable. And so we're very proactive with their, you know, their psychological needs. And by the way, if there's something specific that we think they need to talk to them more, maybe they'll go twice a week. And they love it. You know, they love their time with their guy. And we found it to be very valuable. You know, again, I come from immigrant, of an immigrant Italian family. There was no such thing as therapy. There was no such thing as crying. There was no such thing as anything. Like you shut up and you weren't to be, you know, heard. Really, you know, you had problems, keep it to yourself. <laughs> it couldn't be more unhealthy. They didn't know any better, so I don't blame them. But with my kids, it's in, we're always having, it's, it's malleable. It's always open. We're constantly talking about what we're thinking, what we're feeling today. Today is different than yesterday, you know. So it's, that's the kind of environment we've created. And, and I don't know where I've gone with this, but that's the kind of environment we've created in, in, our, in our homes. And it segues into what I wanted to go into next, which I know is I know that you're super passionate about mental health. And obviously, you know, the people that you've lost has severely impacted you. And then there's certain stories about some of these people that might become public and your kids might see something and that might impact them. So kids are having so many problems with their mental health these days. So I was going to ask, like, other than maybe them being consistently in therapy and having open dialogue with you, what are some of the things that you help your kids do to empower themselves so that they can have, you know, a healthy relationship with their mind? That's a great, really great question. And it's not an easy question to answer. You know, when I was a kid, you had a curriculum and that curriculum was you went to school and whatever they taught you, they taught you. And that's you had to fit into their box. And so what we do with our kids is the opposite. We try to find what interests our children and what they excel in. And we try to lean into that. And we try to create a curriculum that is focusing on what makes them excited to learn. And that increases their dopamine. And so when their dopamine is increased, they learn better more and more and more and more and more. And so we found that to be very effective. And we also found that there are things that they're not good in. And one of them is not great in math. So we got them a math tutor so that they could, they could understand the concepts. Not to say you need to be an A student in math, but we need you to understand. So we kind of mold their lives and their education to what we see that their strengths are. And it's, by the way, not easy. I mean, it's a Herculean effort. Like my ex-wife and I are really great partners with our kids. We're on the same team always. And it's like having like a little business, you know, and there are employees and we have to make sure employees are happy. And that's how we manage to do it. And Exercise is important for them. I notice when they don't exercise, they're not as happy. So we got to keep them moving. We got to keep our kids moving and we got to keep our kids healthy. We got to put the right things in their bodies. 
Once in a while, they're allowed to have, you know, snacks and crappy food. But for the most part, we keep them healthy and we keep them interested in everything. You know, I, you know, I introduce things to them all the time, whether it's art things or, or physical things or sports things, whatever it may be. I test them out all the time. If something sticks, we kind of keep going with it, you know. So, so that's it. I mean, it's, uh, you know, as a parent, I take it very seriously. And so does my wife, my ex-wife. Your responsibility to your children is far greater than just giving birth. <laughs> and, and, you know, it's far greater than telling them, hey, we're all the same and you're all winners. And it's no, that's not how it works. It doesn't work that way. We want to make really good, healthy and, you know, adults. And so I take it very seriously being a parent. Yeah. And it seems like what's been really meaningful for them is that you, they have a great support system between you and your ex-wife. And I know that you, you speak on the importance of the people that you spend the most time with. And I guess I would love for you to share, like, why do you think it's so important to spend time with people that bring the best out in you? Well, I think you should only should spend time with people who bring the best out of you and vice versa. This is a great thing about getting old and I'm old. The great thing about being old is that I don't tolerate anyone anymore that is not providing a positive influence is not elevating or trying to elevate me or the people around me. Cause that's what I want to do for them. Right. I, so get rid of them. It's, it's like a closet full of clothes you don't wear anymore. Get rid of them because you want to make space for what's right. And I've cut relationships with people who I actually liked, but didn't belong in my life anymore. Do you know what I mean? I won't have them around my kids. I don't want them around my kids. I don't want their kids around my kids. I don't want any kind of negative influence. It's a tough enough world as it is right now. We live in a very interesting time that I will only allow, for the, to the best of my ability, positive people and positive influences in my life and my children's life. And do you think it served you well to not be outside of the quote unquote Hollywood circle and not so wrapped up in the machine that that has also been beneficial for your mental health? Great question. And yeah, like I'm so not interested any anymore. I have nothing to prove to anybody. Like when I was younger, I was always trying to, you know, prove something probably to myself, but I have nothing to prove. I listen, I could act with anybody. I don't look at anybody now and say, oh my God, what a treat it would be to act with this guy or this woman. I give a shit. I can do it with anyone. And and I challenge you to do it with me. You know, it has nothing to do with success or who's more popular. I don't care. You know, I know who I am now and I don't, I don't have to prove anything to anybody. Most importantly, brother, I don't have to prove anything to myself. So I don't have that anxiety anymore. And so it enables me to live a, a truthful life. And, and, you know, sometimes I'm going to do things people like, and sometimes I'm going to do things that they, they don't like, but I don't care. <laughs> yeah. And I think people struggle because they get wrapped up in fame and that becomes their identity and they lose themselves and they don't know who they are without that thing. And then maybe once they exit, you know, a, a place like Hollywood, they're like lost. They're like, what do I do now? Like I have had my life taken care of for the last 30 years. And I don't know who I am without this one thing. Yeah, man, it's a horrible. And this is why I'm glad whatever success I've achieved came later in my life. I was already a man. Do you know what I mean? I was a man before I was an actor. There's a lot of actors in this town that are actors before they become men. That's a dangerous thing. They're actors before they become full grown women. And so, you know, I don't blame them, but 
you're skewed. Your identity is skewed. You are this thing that you don't, it's not really you. So I think I'm fortunate that my, whatever success I've had has come later in life. I am not changing. <laughs> I'm a dude, you know, I wear the same clothes every day. I go to the same gym every day. Like if you want to kill me, you know where I am. <laughs> And I wouldn't have it any other way, you know, and, and that's what I put into my roles. I think the reason why people might respond to me is because, I, I mean, I'm like, I'm a dude in the movies. I'm not a movie star. I'm just a guy in a movie that maybe you kind of dig because there's an authenticity to that guy. And that's my thing, I think. I think. Yeah, I mean, I think you have this level of authenticity that a lot of people relate to. And I want to talk about, like, it seems like you're very headstrong on managing your own mental health, helping your kids with their mental health. But what was Frank's life like when he didn't manage his mental health? Like, how did that impact other areas of your life? I was a mess. I, I was a mess. And, uh, you know, I grew up in a very difficult place. My parents were 17 and 18 when they had me. They had no idea what to do with me. They're from different parts of the world and a different culture. And they were just trying to make enough money to put food on the table. They weren't thinking about rearing children. They were just thinking about survival. And I, I grew up, you know, in an aggressive, sometimes violent environment, you know. And I thought that's the way you dealt with shit was aggressivity and violence. And so if something was challenging you, you dealt with it by being violent so that you could put the challenge down. And I had to learn the hard way. That's not good. It's not good to be that way. You know, it's not acceptable. And there are better ways to behave. But I, I was a product of my, my environment. So I, I had to learn and I had to do a lot of, I did a lot of reading. I wanted to always be better. I've always wanted to be better. I wanted to be a better athlete. I wanted to be a better person. I wanted to be a better husband. And I failed a lot. I failed at being a husband. You know, after 20 years married, I failed at being a husband to the woman who was the love of my life. In fact, I was just doing a movie and the actress dropped out and I called my ex-wife and said, come to Puerto Rico. I'll get you a ton of dough. You'll work for a couple of days. We'll have some fun. And we did. We had some fun. It felt like the old days. That's how much I love her. Like, you know, I want to be around her. I want to take care of her. You know what I mean? Because I, I kind of screwed up as a husband. And that's the other thing. It's like I did screw up as a husband, but also I'm a really great ex-husband. <laughs> and and I'm trying my hardest to make amends all the things that I've done that weren't good, you know? And that's our journey, man. Like, you're going to screw up. You're going to screw up, like, multiple times. It's how you react to that and how you carry forward from that that is going to define you. You know what I mean? You seem very, very humble, man, and it's, it's, it's super impressive, and I think a lot of times when people go through something like a divorce, it's hard to not let your ego get in the way and say, I was right. The reason that we're not married is because of you, or if you get fired from a job, you point to the other person, it was their fault. Like When you got divorced, was there a process where you had to come to terms with the fact that you know what, the role that you played in that, or was there something you knew immediately? Oh. Great question again. It was my fault. It was my fault. When I tell you this woman was the love of my life and we spent too much time apart, I was doing kingdom and I was away from the family for too long. And, and, uh, 
you know, I did some stupid things and I had the best. I mean, she wasn't without flaw. She was a great woman, a great, loyal, beautiful, talented, great mother. I mean, you know, I look back now and I'm like, wow, wow, you asshole. Yeah, you, you know, and to this day, I adore her. Like I could cry talking about her. And I did. I, I said to her numerous times, I'm so, if there was anything I could do to go back in time and not be that guy, I would do it. Like I, I made a big mistake and I paid for it dearly. I've paid for it dearly. I pay for it every day dearly. And there's not a day go by that, you know, I'm like, my boys are with me and I, I'm constantly texting her photos of us together. We're really great friends now. We're in a great place. But, and I say to myself, I shouldn't be divorced. We should all be doing this together, you know? So, you know, I deal with that on the daily. You know what I mean? And, and, uh, you know, again, I'm probably talking too much, but people need to know that. Like, it's okay. We screw up, man. We make mistakes. Don't let the mistake define you, you know? Do not let the mistake define you. And you can be better no matter what stage of life you're in. You could do better. That's all. And that's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to be better. <laughs> yeah. And speaking of getting better and like growing as a human being, I know that sometimes when, when we have like a rough childhood, we develop some unhealthy patterns like you mentioned, and they negatively impact the way we behave as an adult. You mentioned that you read a lot that has helped you grow as a man. What have been a couple other things that you've done to help like A, like develop some awareness around how these patterns were negatively impacting you and then B, how to learn like healthy new behaviors as an adult? Oh man, these are such great, important questions, brother, that I don't think enough people are are willing to take the time to kind of listen to. But you know, there's so much information out there about childhood trauma. And I think a lot of what my behavior patterns have been stems from my childhood trauma and stems from my parents, whether over nurturing me because of fear or, or under nurturing me or having a, an environment of instability and what that does to the brain and how you behave because of that. I have learned through a lot of hours of therapy and of reading, you know, seeking out information. I have learned, you know, where my brain is you know, what my DNA is because of the way I was raised and how that affects my relationships. Now, does everybody want to take the time to learn about themselves? No, most people don't want to take the time to learn about themselves. They want to maybe see something on Instagram from Jordan Peterson or whoever, you know, somebody who's talking about, you know, behavior and they go, okay, oh, I, I relate to that. And okay, so I'm going to be, I'm going to fix that. That's not what it's about. It's like anything. It's like what we talked about earlier. You don't go to the gym one time, go home and see change. This is a process that is the most painful process of anything I've ever done, which is to learn about myself. That's so well said. And thanks for opening up and sharing that. Like, it's not easy to, to talk about this because, you know, a lot of times there's a lot of shame. There's a lot of, you know, guilt around either the way we grow up or even how it's impacted us as an adult. And going back to your childhood, I've heard you talk about like money in that you thought that like once you got to a point where you made a lot of money, it would help your anxiety. So I, what my question is like, what did you think you would gain when you made a lot of money? And then once you got to a point where you made some money, like what did it actually do for you? 
you know, at one point I thought having $50,000 in the bank was a lot of money because my parents never had a checking account ever. They paid their bills with money orders. So I thought if I had $50,000, I'm fine. I'm great. Right. And then that $50,000 turned into a million. And I said, well, if I ever became a millionaire, I wouldn't have any problems. And then that million turned into five million. And I said, well, if I had $5 million, I'd never have any problems. And guess what? My problems never changed. I got 50,000, I got a million, and then at some point I got 5 million. And I was still dealing with the same bullshit internally. And I was still dealing with the same behavior patterns that I was dealing with my whole life that had nothing to do with money, zero. And you know what? The more money I had, the more money I wanted for some reason. Like I felt like the one thing I never had was security as a child because my parents never had a nickel. And if I'm just going to keep accumulating money and at some point it's going to make me feel secure. And guess what? Never, never did it. The money never changed anything. Do I live in a nice house? Yep. Do I drive a nice car? Uh-huh. Does that make me happy? No, not a bit. I just bought a house. I haven't even moved into it. I just bought a beautiful house here in LA. It's the first house I ever bought without a woman because I'm divorced. And I'm paralyzed to move into it. I haven't even done anything. I, I, there's a house that I own sitting somewhere. And my point is, none of that external stuff, none of it is a cure for what ails us. The only cure is to go inside and live with it, to learn about it. I'm never going to get rid of who I am. I'm never going to get rid of being aggressive, and, but I'm going to make a relationship with it. So when the guy shows up on my shoulder and he wants to be aggressive, I go, oh, I know you. I know why you're here. You can go in now. I don't need you. Like you got to make a relationship with it. And that's what I've tried to do. And by the way, not always been successful. Like, you know, I'm still an animal. Like there's part of me that's still an animal and uh, I have got to curb myself. And that's what we need to know as men. It's okay, man, to fail. It's okay to not be in control, but talk to people about it. Talk to your friends, talk to a professional, talk to someone. Don't hold it in. Don't hold it in, right? You got to let it out somehow. And speaking of like getting triggered and getting angry and you talked about how you have that aggressive person like creeping up on your shoulder and you're able to kind of have that dialogue with that person like what are some other things that you do when you're feeling like we've talked about like you know how fitness and everything has, has helped you with your mental health like in the moment what are some things that you've learned to practice to help like harness some of that aggression that might come out yeah listen you know i was just in in, uh, in puerto rico doing a movie and it wasn't an ideal situation. And there were some times where, you know, I was heated, heated. And I know, I know it's going to go one of two ways. And I know to remove myself. So what I usually do is if I'm feeling like I'm going to be out of control, I remove myself. I know it sounds cliche. I go for a walk. I disappear. And I go take a couple of breaths. And without fail, it always brings me down to reality. But... I also could be dangerous because I also know how to fight. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. um, and people at this point, people know I know how to fight. And so what I don't want to do is impose my will and be intimidating. That's gross. I have to remove myself and take many deep breaths because I do get triggered. You know, I get triggered by laziness. 
I get triggered by people who think they're better than me still, you know, and I shouldn't. I get triggered by people who treat other people poorly, people who are maybe they're people who sweep the floor or people who are serving the food or somebody lesser than them who they're taking taking their shit out on. It fucking makes me crazy. And so I got to remove myself or I get myself in trouble. And I've gotten myself in trouble before. I mean, it's it's good though to have the self awareness to to know that that's what works for you. That if something, if a situation happens and you're feeling triggered, and you're like, at any moment, I could get into a physical altercation. I need to just remove myself right now. There's nothing wrong with that. Like, I think that's like a solution, right? Is to remove yourself from the situation. Yeah, and you know, I live in L.A. where everybody thinks they're a tough guy. They go to like you know box, they go to boxing class, and they think they're fighters. Like every dude <laughs> in L.A. lifts weights and thinks he's a tough guy. And so you deal with that, you know, you, you deal with that. I'm like, okay, all right. Well, you're not a tough guy. That's first of all. And I'm going to show you. And then I can go, wait a minute. You want to get your house taken away? You want your kids' lives turned upside down? Like, you, like that's serious. Like, you know, I also forget that people know who I am. <laughs> and so I just think I'm a regular Joe. And, you know, I'm not George Clooney, but I am a guy who people know. And so you're a target. And, you know, I walk through airports and sometimes go, hey, oh, Frank Rillo, hey, man, your movies suck. You're an asshole. What? Really? Oh, my God. Damn. No joke. And they have a camera. <laughs> and they're just waiting for you to, like, hit them with a suitcase or something. Right? And I smile and I wave. I go, you're right. I am an asshole. <laughs> <laughs> So do you ever struggle with like the, the comparison trap though, at looking at some maybe other people who are in films that are maybe less talented than you or don't have the work ethic that you do and being like, man, like, why couldn't I be that lucky? No, never. You know what I do? I say, God bless them. Good for them, man. Like nobody is successful without a reason. And whether, you know, talent is subjective. But I do not begrudge anybody who's who's doing well and has has had success in anything. I applaud them. You know, I don't take a second out of my life to ever begrudge anybody of doing well. I want everybody to do well. I really do. I want everybody to do well. I want everybody to work hard and do well. Is it a meritocracy? Not by a long shot. There's a lot of shitheads in Hollywood making a lot of money that are very popular that aren't so great. <laughs> what are you going to do? Well, I love the outlook you have on it, man. I think that's why so many people like like you because they see you as just like a regular person who just calls it like it is. And I want to shift gears because you have a new movie coming out called Lamborghini, which it's no secret, obviously, what the brand Lamborghini is. But just talk about it and maybe like share a little bit of like why you chose this role and, and maybe like what's it done for you in your life? Yeah. So I do a lot of different movies. Some of them are dramatic and uh, small and nobody sees them, but I do them for myself because I, I need the challenge. They're usually with great people. And I got a call and Tony Banderas had dropped out of this film and I got a call and, I, and they said, you know, they want you to do this movie in Italy about Ferruccio Lamborghini. It's based on the book that his son wrote about him. And I went, what, me? Do I kill anybody? Do I save anybody? Do I kill anybody? And they were like, no, no, it's literally, a, it's a biopic. And it's, you know, you got to do an Italian accent and you, they're going to age you and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, I'm like, you know, who wrote it? And they said, Bobby Moresco, who I know, Bobby, he wrote Crash and Million Dollar Baby. He's got a couple of Oscars. 
And I said, Who's, who else is in it? And they said, Mira Sorvino and Gabriel Byrne. And they really love you for the role. And I said, and my agents and I spoke and I said, I'm in, I'm going to do this because I need this, like always learning always. And, you know, there's a line I say in the movie Warrior. I did this movie Warrior with Tom Hardy and Joel Edgerton. Great movie. Great movie. Yeah, thank you. And I I love it. And it was a big break for me. And I say something in the movie and and the line is move or die. And it's, it's a really great line. And I believe that if you don't move, you die. And that could be spiritually or commercially or, you know, creatively. And I said, I got to go take this challenge. I'm going to learn the dialect. I'm going to speak Italian. I'm going to let them age me. I'm going to look. And brother, when I say going to do this movie has changed my DNA, like I'm so grateful for the opportunity and I put everything into it. I'm sure I'll get bashed because people go, what is that guy doing trying to be a dramatic actor? And it's like, like I really just chose to be an, an action figure. But it doesn't matter. For me, it was an incredible experience. It was challenging. And I was afraid. And I loved being afraid. I needed to be like, I go to do these roles. And I, you know, I'm the guy. Like, I can do that. This made me work. And it opened me up. And it's, it's, it's really changed my path going forward. And and again, there are no rules in life, especially with age. Like this thing changed me at this point in my life, which I never believed would happen. And now I'm off to a different path. Everybody can do that. Yeah. So many people are afraid of facing challenges because they're afraid that they're going to fail, but they automatically fail if they don't even give themselves a chance to try. And on the other side of trying and in accomplishing something like that comes this immense amount of self-confidence that you get from doing that. Like how has your confidence been improved after doing this film? Oh man, let me tell you something. I pulled something off. I really did. I had 10 days to prepare. That's it. To do language, dialect, to get into this other person who was an iconic Italian figure and to work with all these Oscar winners. And by the way, doesn't affect, I'm not going in there thinking they're better than I am because they have a trophy. Uh, I got wrestling trophies. I don't know if they know how to wrestle. And I came out of it feeling really reinvigorated about acting and about being creative and taking risks and went to the Rome Film Festival. I got a, I got a try. They gave me an award. I don't even know what it's for. <laughs> they gave me an award. I'm going to the Napa Film Festival. They're going to give me another. I'm like, okay, I'll take the trophy. You know what I mean? It's like you take a risk. You take the chances. You might fall flat on your face. Who cares? Who really cares if you're flat? You, well, all that matters is the effort you put into something. That's it. And that's what I tell my kids. I don't care. What the result is, I care about the effort. It's the effort. You might want to take a class that you don't think you're going to be good in, but you want to try. You might get a C minus. I don't care. All I care about is you put yourself in that position and you went for it. And that's what matters to me. And that's what matters in life. I, you know, again, I want to say like I'm on a soapbox, but you don't try. The worst thing is not trying. It is. And it's like one of the things that I'll often say is, would you rather reject yourself by not trying because you didn't believe in yourself? Or would you rather be rejected by somebody else when you put yourself out there and you had the self-confidence to know that you were worthy of taking that shot? And yeah, you might have gotten rejected, but at least you believed in yourself enough to know that you deserve to be in that arena. 
Absolutely. And by the way, who's rejecting you? Right. Who's rejecting me? Some critic? Because they're always right. Critics are always right. Some guy in his mother's bait. Like nowadays, it's not just like the New York Times. You know what I mean? It's like every Tom, Dick, and Harry with a computer sitting in his mother's basement is also somehow on Rotten Tomatoes. I, well, <laughs> yeah, right. How is that possible? Right? And so what, what I, I believe that that person is saying something that's indicative of what I do, like that guy, I don't care. <laughs> I don't care. I really don't. That's such a great outlook and attitude to have. And I just think that you know people need to hear this because so many people, they're afraid of that thing. They're afraid of what the person on the internet is going to say about them or the family member, whoever. They're afraid of being rejected by these people. And I think a lot of times the people that are rejecting you are just people that are having difficulties within themselves and their way of dealing with it is taking it out on other people by criticizing them. Absolutely. And you know what, dude? It's like I look a certain way. You know, I'm, I'm sure there are dudes out there. Go, I don't, I don't want to say anything good about that guy. Like, well, I, he doesn't need anything else said good about him, right? <laughs> right? And it's like, like I'm not a human being. It's like, but guess what? The way I look, it's a lot of work. So if I look fit to somebody out there, it's a lot of work, man. I'm in the gym three hours a day. I don't eat pizza. I, you know, I don't get to eat bread and rice and all the great things that everybody eats. So you're going to judge me. You're going to judge me based on the way I look. And then you're going to take a dig at me. And so I, I know what's going on. When I see these critics and I see them in person, can I tell you every one of them is so sweet and mostly submissive and they never dare say anything to me. It's always when they're behind the computer and they feel like they got a voice and now they want to say something negative. So I mark Whoever's listening, I remember every critic that says everything personal about me. And when I see them, I go, oh, you're the guy who said, and they go, oh, man, that's, that's, a, that's, that's funny because it's true, man. Like it's true that like, people, it's easy to say, to sit behind a computer and say something mean to somebody. But once you like meet them in person, there's a certain level of like, I guess, fear that happens because now you're face to face and there's now there's emotion involved that it's a lot harder to say something mean to somebody because you're like, oh. yeah, I'm looking right at you now. Say it. <laughs> <laughs> so as the premise of the film is like the Lamborghini company start yeah. to finish, right? Yeah. It's uh, it's based on the book that Tonino Lamborghini, his son, uh, who they had a tumultuous relationship. His son wrote the book and Tonino was with me just in Rome. Great family, the Lamborghini family, great family. And so it's the story, you know, you could tell the story over eight hours, but you know, we had to condense it into a two hour movie, obviously. And it's the story about when he gets out of the war and he creates Lamborghini tractors, he becomes very wealthy. He buys a bunch of Ferraris and the Ferraris aren't really working well. So he goes to Ferrari and it's Ferrari who tells him, go away, you farmer, go make your tractors. Um, I don't want anything to do with you. And that what is the genesis of Lamborghini going to create the first Lamborghini 350 GT, which is today what we know as Lamborghini. And it's the story of, listen, it, for me, it was a story about a man who sacrificed being a really good husband and a good father to become Lamborghini. And that's what the story's about. It's like, you, you can do anything, you can't do everything. That's awesome, man. It's, it's such a cool story. And I'm so glad that you took that role and and challenge yourself to do it because it seems like it's created so much growth for you, not just professionally, but personally. So Frank, this has been so fun, man. I mean, yeah, I, man. I could talk to you all day about this stuff. 
I appreciate your openness, your vulnerability, and your honesty. So if, if people want to follow along your journey, they want to follow you along on, on social media. If they want to go see Lamborghini and connect there, where's the best place for them to do all that? Lamborghini opens November 18th in select theaters, and it's in uh, you know on all the streamers. I'm only on one platform, which is Instagram. It's Frank Grillo One. Really simple. I'm pretty goofy. It's a lot of a lot of training and some plugging of movies and a little bit of my family, and that's really it. And you know, look, you know, I have a lot of people who reach out to me on DM who are going through some tough times. I try to answer as many people as I can and talk to as many people as I can. And if you think that there's anything I can say that can make your day better, please reach out to me and DM me and hopefully I'll see it and and we'll have a conversation. Amen to that, Frank. And I appreciate you willing to do that. And I will make sure to plug the links to where to see Lamborghini and to follow you on social media in the show notes. And for those listening, what I invite you to do is to share a takeaway. Maybe it was something that Frank said on the importance of speaking out if you're struggling with your mental health. Maybe it was something that he shared about some of the tragedy that he's gone through over the last year and how that's impacted him and how that's made him want to speak out about mental health more. Maybe it was something he said about parenting, fitness, divorce, or even what he just shared about the film Lamborghini, whatever it was, tag Frank, tag myself, because we'd love to hear your feedback. And we once again, thank you for listening to this episode of the Adversity Advantage. I'm your host, Doug Bobst. We'll see you next time.